Hello again. Today on Ken Drew's Real Dirt, we're going to talk about gardener's gold, compost. Everybody wants to know more about compost, how to make it, how to use it. Stay tuned. Hello again. It's Ken Drew's. I'm your host for Ken Drew's Real Dirt, the garden show. Well, we get a lot of questions uh, via email, and if you'd like to ask a question, send your question to Ken Drew's Real Dirt at yahoo.com, K-E-N-D-R-U-S-E-R-E-A-L-D-I-R-T, all run together, Ken Drew's Real Dirt at yahoo.com. And one question that comes up all the time is compost. Not only how to make compost, but at this time of the year, a question that came in was, how do you keep the compost cooking? How do you keep it going in the winter? And my guest today, who is Deb Martin, is going to tell us a few ideas on keeping your compost happening, keeping the compost going through the winter. And Deb got hooked on on composting when she was a garden book editor at Rodale Press, and her very first project was to revise and update the Rodale Book of Composting. Now she has her own book written with Barbara Pleasant, The Complete Compost Gardening Guide. And we're going to talk about making compost and not necessarily the first thing you ever heard about compost, but a few other ideas. And I think one thing that's going to be good about talking to Deb is that she'd rather have you make compost than not make compost. And so many things that I've read kind of scare you off thinking, oh, you need all this and that and uh, incredibly precise layers and a thermometer to know what's going on. And okay, you can take that route if you want. You can even be composting in your own home with worms, something that I don't think I'm about to do. But uh, well, who knows, maybe someday. But uh, composting, Deb's way is, is really, it's better to do something on composting than to do nothing, even if it's messy piles, minor kind of messy piles, and even if you don't have expensive redwood compost bins. But stay tuned for my interview with Deb Martin. My guest today is Deb Martin, who is the author with Barbara Pleasant of The Complete Compost Gardening Guide. And I think compost is one of the topics that every everybody is interested in compost. And I've got the compost queen on the phone <laughs> right now. Deb Martin, hello, Deb. Hi, Ken. How are you? I'm fine, and it's, it's great to talk to you. And great to get some answers to some questions that I have. And I, I love something that you have written, which is from rot to riches. I think that's perfect. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, you know, that stuff rots. And so why not take advantage of it? Well, it, it's, I was going to say it's funny, but to a gardener, maybe it's not so funny. You know, when you plant a seed, you go out, you go and look at that spot where you planted it every day, sometimes three times a day. And then when it finally comes up, you look at it and go back and look at it again. Has it changed? And it's only been an hour and a half. And I found with compost, I kind of do the same thing. I'm, I'm, I go over and check it. Is it cooking? Is it happening? And of course, it doesn't happen that quickly. But uh, I don't think of making compost as being something apart from gardening. And actually, that's something that you write about that I, I think is great, which is don't put the compost in a place where you can't get to it, which is a mistake that I've made. But t tell us a little bit about compost and what compost is. I know you can tell me pretty quickly, and then we'll talk about making some and what we can do now. Okay. Um, well, you know, I think of compost as, you know, the the flip side of gardening. You know, that 
if you're gardening, you should be composting because they're a yin and yang kind of arrangement. Um, you know, the gardening takes things from the soil, but the compost then restores the things to the soil. So, you know, it's it's the natural process that happens that we don't think about as much. We're thinking about growing things, and we're not thinking about necess- you know the the decline that necessarily happens on the other side of the uh, the process. Uh, compost is just decomposing and decomposed organic material. So it's the it's the end result of our gardening efforts, and it's also then the beginning of the next round of gardening efforts. Well, it's funny that, that a lot of people think it's so mysterious. Yes. <laughs> and the process is a, such a mysterious process. I I make my compost in piles, and I wish I did have bins so I could do it a little bit better. Uh, and Well, I've, I'll ask you one of my questions. How do you, do you sift your compost after it's, decomposed, uh, uh, you know, when it's processed, or how do you get those twigs and bigger things out of it? Well, it depends. I sift some compost, but it depends on how I'm going to use it. You know, if I'm I'm using compost in potting mixtures or as, you know, a potting material for for container plants, um, then I do sift it because I want to get the bigger chunks out of it. But in general, if I'm if I'm just putting compost, you know, into a garden bed to turn it into the soil or to, you know, put it into a uh, pit that's going to serve as a reservoir of nutrients and moisture for plants in my garden, I tend not to sift it because it's actually good to have some persistent organic material that continues to break down because that provides ongoing food for the microorganisms that are doing all kinds of good stuff for us in the soil. When we see compost that's like uh, as fine as ground coffee, that's not necessarily the goal. Well, again, it depends on what you want to use it for. Sometimes we want it to look pretty because we're going to use it, you know, to top dress pots or, you know, as almost as a mulch material. And then you do, you know, want that fine, but that you know, fine, attractive product. But not necessarily. You know, sometimes chunky compost can be good. Like peanut butter. (laughs) Oh right. (laughs) We don't want the compost to look like peanut butter. We want it to be chunky or smooth. (laughs) Right, smooth or chunky. It depends on your taste and what you want to use it for. From a scientific point of view, what are the ingredients that you need for compost? And I mean, like, yeah, like nitrogen, oxygen, things like that. Okay. Um, You want a. You want a balance of materials. You want um, about two parts dry carbon-based materials. So think about you know paper products. Think about cardboard. Think about um, dry leaves. And those are you want about two or three parts of that to a to one part of a green, a moist material, a nitrogen-based material like grass clippings is the common thing, but also um, most kitchen wastes fall into that category as well. And the, the goal then is to create a mixture that has, you know, lots of carbon, and think of that as your carbohydrates um, in your diet, and you have more of those perhaps, and then your nitrogen is a protein-based material, and so you're creating a balanced diet for the microorganisms, for all those little bacteria and fungi and things that are in the soil and that are in compost and that do all the hard work. And what might some of those nitrogen sources be? 
Okay. Um, green, fresh green grass clippings. Uh-huh. Um, most of your um, grain meals, like alfalfa meal, if you have, you know, if you're short on grass clippings or you want to boost your compost quickly, um, we sometimes recommend using uh, inexpensive dog food is a good Ooh. source of nitrogen for a compost pile if you need to kick things up a notch. Uh, as I said, kitchen scraps, the the wet kind of, you know, vegetable trimmings, fruit trimmings and peels and things that come out of a kitchen compost bucket um, are usually a good source of nitrogen as well. And what about animal manure, or I should say herbivore manure? Ah, yes, yes, yes. I'm sorry for getting, for getting the big one because I use it so rarely. But, um, yes, animal manure, and as you say, specifically herbivore manure. We're not talking about, you know, dog and cat droppings especially. But, um, you know, things like horse manure, if you have access to that, or cow manures, or um, sheep, goats, rabbits, chickens, all those kinds of things. Those are all excellent, you know, high-value nitrogen sources, and the only thing you need to watch is depending on which kind of animal you're getting it from, sometimes you bring in things like weed seeds that you maybe don't want (laughs) in your compost. Well, in the the different composts that I've made, uh, sometimes they take a really long time, and sometimes they act a little quicker. And I usually, I guess the reason I asked you before about sifting is I use a sort of a layer of twigs to keep oxygen in the pile and maybe I'm doing too much. Do you think that uh, my my twi- twig layer might be too thick or too coarse? Um, if you're saying then that it's slowing it down. Yeah, it slows it down, right? Yeah. Um, again, it, it depends. You know, sometimes speed is not the goal either, but if speed is the goal, then I think probably that layer of twigs is not the best option for aerating. Usually, if we want to compost things fast, we have to be more engaged with the composting process, and we have to do the turning and the aerating ourselves. Um, a pile that's built on top of a layer of twigs for that, you know, ongoing aeration, is is a great way to do a really a slow, you know, kind of um, you really have to be patient sort of compost pile, and. It will take a while, and in fact, one of the things that happens with a pile like that is it tends to dry out more quickly, so you also have to monitor the moisture levels of that pile and maybe, you know, water it from time to time. Hmm. But but if, <laughs> if I don't do enough oxygen, I get kind of the slimy stuff. Sometimes when I haven't uh, stirred up my compost or been careful enough or if I put too thick a layer of grass clippings, I find that the it sort of just gets sli- a, into a slimy mess and really doesn't cook at all. I shouldn't use the word cook, or maybe you do use the word cook. <laughs> um, we say cook. What we mean is that, you know, things are heating up, and when a compost pile heats up, it's the result of, you know, active bacterial things going on in there. Um, it's the life processes of those uh bacteria and fungi and all kinds of things that are working in that pile that causes the heat that we, you know, talk about, that we want the hot compost pile. And, you know, you do get, you know, sometimes a pile that turns slimy because, you know, there's too much moisture, there are too many wet ingredients or too thick of a layer, and we have overwhelmed the organisms that are doing all the composting in there, and they can't handle it all at once. And so, 
when that happens, other organisms take over, and they are the ones that work without oxygen, uh, anaerobic decomposers, and they do the same job. They still break things down, but they do it in a kind of smelly, nasty way that most people oh. don't enjoy. So it's so, not really it's not really making bad compost. It's just making different compost. But I want, want to remind people that I'm speaking with Deb Martin, who is the author of a book, a new book, The Complete Compost Gardening Guide. And we are talking about compost, making compost, and what compost can do for you and your garden. And we'll be right back. You're listening to Ken Drew's Real Dirt, The Garden Show. Thank you for staying with me. My guest today is Deb Martin, the author of The Complete Compost Gardening Guide with Barbara Pleasant. And it's a cornucopia of information, techniques, recipes, easy-to-build projects designed to make composting effective and, when possible, less labor-intensive. And uh, when we started talking, I was reminded of one good tip that I'm going to start right away, which is to make the compost pile closer to the garden, because I, I do want to visit it. I do want to add to it, and I, I'm kind of a lazy composter, and I guess if you have space that's out of view, that's what you tend to do. You just go out there and dump stuff, and <clears throat> it's not that it's so precise, but it would be more efficient for me to be a little more precise. Yes, and also just, you know, out of sight, out of mind. Exactly. It's so very true, you know, and we... You know, we have this, you know, image of compost as being messy or unattractive, and so we tuck it away and hide it, and then we forget about it, or we, or we do, you know, get lazy because the garden can be so consuming during, you know, certain parts of the year, and by the time we've done with our gardening tasks, we don't want to spend the extra time to, um, you know, drag stuff to the compost bin or to go and take more time and turn the compost or, you know, interact with it in any way, and so... If you, you know, have different kinds of compost projects, some of which can be, you know, integrated into your gardens, then you're more likely to, you know, be engaged with them and to do the things that are necessary to keep them going, and you're going to use that compost then. Well, if we were talking about piles that might be a little too dry and that you have to add some water, and I was... Uh telling you about sometimes I put a little bit too much wet stuff on it and a different kind of thing happens. And in your book, I I find it very interesting that you're talking about fine-tuning the compost for different things that you want it for. And I are you actually saying different kinds of microorganisms too? The microorganisms that are in a pile are going to vary based on the kinds of uh, ingredients that you put in to begin with because that's sort of how they get there. Um, what you want to do is is fine-tune it so that you are composting in a way that makes sense for you, is what I want to say. Um, you know, whether you are going to be somebody who turns the pile every day or every couple of days and who is very engaged in, in making a compost that, you know, finishes very quickly, or if you are going to be lazier about it or more casual about it and, you know, add stuff when you have it and turn it when you think about it and kind of let it happen in a slower, you know, more gradual way. Hmm. Would you make a, one kind of compost, for for example, for sifting over a, a lawn or turf area and a different kind of compost for the vegetable garden or flower garden? I might, I might put in different ingredients and I might manage it a little bit differently. You know, we talked about whether you wanted to sift the compost or whether you wanted to, you know, wind up with a finer, you know, more attractive looking product. 
as opposed to something that was a little bit rougher and chunkier. And so I think I wouldn't, if I were, if I were looking for something that was going to, you know, come out being fine and smooth and something that I could sift and, you know, have some that looks nice for mulching or for using in containers, I might not put in um, a lot of coarse materials like um, prunings or, you know, sticks and things that have come out from the yard because they'll take longer to break down and they'll, you know, ultimately produce a chunkier material that would have to be, you know, chopped up a lot more to get it to that kind of finished looking product that I want for, you know, certain applications. Well, in the cold weather times of year, uh, especially around now, I've got leaves and leaves and leaves and I've I've piled up my leaves and I run the lawnmower, the bagging lawnmower over them and chop them up and I I want to add them to a compost pile. Is there anything that I sh can do to help the compost continue to process in the really cold weather? Yeah, sure. There's lots of stuff. You know, you can um, start by thinking about insulating a pile. If you, you know, if you have just a loose pile, you might want to frame it with some uh, bales of hay or straw mm -hmm. um, and, you know, think about covering it with a tarp. Uh, people who live in places where the winter is um, wet more than it is cold necessarily, um, you know, may want to think about putting a, like a layer of uh, straw over the top of their pile that will shed moisture mm -hmm. or using a tarp to cover that pile so that it doesn't, you know, get so sodden. And um, even, you know, in colder areas, I, I find where I am in southeastern Pennsylvania, you know, we tend to go into November with a lot of rain and, and moisture, and then it turns cold. And so, you know, if an uncovered pile will get really wet, and then it will be frozen. Um, so if you, you know, cover your pile up and kind of keep that excess moisture out, then you can kind of keep things going a little bit better through the winter months, especially if you then, you know, insulate it with some uh, bales or other, you know, um, bags of leaves. If you, oh. you know, bag up those fall leaves that you have in abundance right now and, uh, you know, pack them around your compost, they can be a great insulator for the winter months. That, that's a great idea. I do have them. <laughs> that's just what I have. <laughs> I have that closer than I have bales of hay. Well, I mean, they're much lighter than bales of hay, too. Yeah, I'll You're say. not uh, into lifting heavy things. No. And we want <laughs> air in there for, for the temperature control. Uh, when you have really good compost, they, people say in books often write that you will kill the weed seeds and, and ultimately the, I guess, the bad organisms. But uh, how can you tell if it's working like that? How can you tell if you're really going to kill the weed seeds? Well, you know, weed seeds, some of them are astonishingly hard to kill. I would think. And... <laughs> um, and hot composting, you know, people are talking about getting a, a pile that heats up to like 160 degrees for an extended period of time, you know, for a couple of days. Um, you know, you do that at the expense of some of the organisms. There, are, You have, you know, very thermophilic, very heat-loving organisms that bring a pile up to that high temperature. And the, when that happens... That is at the cost of the mesophilic organisms, the ones that like medium temperatures and the ones that like colder temperatures. Those all kind of are gone mm. because the 
the you know hottest bacteria has kind of taken control of the pile and that's fine but you know in in real gardening terms then you are you know giving you're giving way you're yielding to one kind of bacteria one kind of microorganism over you know all the others that might normally occur in a compost pile and or in the soil so sometimes a slower process that lets things break down more gradually with the help of those other kinds of organisms can be you know can produce a richer compost that has a greater diversity of material you know in terms of active um, biological ingredients you know that what i'm taking away from all of this is that it's better to do it than not do it <laughs> it's yeah. better to just try it and you'll get results and because I guess some of the problems for me have been things like uh, the, the mysterious things like you're talking about. How am I going to get it to 160 degrees and kill all the weed seeds? And mine gets warm, but it never gets to 160 degrees. But uh, it's better to to try and discover what you're going to make than to not do it at all. And we have an abundant source for free. Not only that, we're doing more good by taking our garden, quote unquote, waste and recycling it this, you know I, th that's what i drive around town sometimes in the northwest corner of new jersey where i live there's a town here and i see all those bagged leaves on the curb and i think oh and i have in the past stopped and gotten them <laughs> yes but you always get something like you know some piece of trash in there some old soda uh, yeah. can or something but uh i th those people who aren't doing it it's it's just crazy, especially those same people are the ones who order compost delivered in the spring. <laughs> right, right. You know, there are many paths <laughs> that you can pursue. Um, and the way to make compost that's best is the way that works best for you and for your garden. Well, uh, compost is a wonderful thing, and I'm so glad we got a chance to talk today. And I want to urge listeners to check out compostgardening.com where you and Barbara have a really good site with lots of answers to lots of questions and lots of information. And we'll have a link to your book, The Complete Compost Gardening Guide, yeah. and we'll have a link to your website on the Real Dirt Radio website, which is kendrewsrealdirt.com. And uh, a lot of people are listening to the show that way, so they're looking at the links right now. But thank you again, Deb, for joining me, and um, good composting to you. And uh, I hope we get a chance to talk again. And to you. Thank you, Ken. It was nice of Deb to demystify composting a little bit for us. I wish there was a place or a way that you could get compost all over the country. Buy it at the, well, at the grocery store would be great, or buy it at the nursery or garden center, and know that what you're buying is a good quality compost made from good organic matter and clean and I think sifted, too. I used some compost uh, last spring, I sifted it over a grass area, a very thin grass area that just kept drying out, and it's actually over the uh, the arch stone bridge that Sod covered, and, you know, between the dog and all of us and the machinery and the carts going over this one area, it really had become incredibly compacted, and, and I, I didn't want to dig the whole thing up and start again, especially because it would be so hard with the dog running over the bridge every single day about 50 times. But I sprinkled compost over the surface, and I tried to get as much as I could on without covering the grass completely, probably a good half inch, maybe a little bit more. And that grass came back so thick and so lush and so quickly. 
but adding a layer of a thin layer, kind of a thin mulch of compost right on the lawn. What a difference that makes. If you can find the compost, make your own, or even find a source for store-bought compost. And one of the problems that I have is that the compost that, that is available to me in my area is kind of alkaline, and so is my soil. So I'm looking for a, a compost that maybe comes from a slightly more acidic source because that's that's my goal, to acidify the garden, my garden, or the garden I share with my plants and trees anyway. So please join me again next week for another edition of Ken Drew's Real Dirt, The Garden Show. And send me your questions to kendrewsrealdirt at yahoo.com. I'm here every week. We're going to answer a question every single week. And, well, see you next week. <laughs>